You're tuned into The Groove Thief here at KGNU Community Radio and have a very exciting interview today speaking with two members of Death by Dub. That's right, Colorado's own and quite arguably leading dub band. Uh, you guys mind introducing yourselves real quickly? Sure, my name is Dan Africano. I play bass and I also trigger effects on the drums uh, during live performances and uh, produce the music. And I'm Scott Flynn and I play trombone and help to compose a lot of the music. Awesome. And I think it's, you know, it's fun to be speaking with two members of the project that really are, in one sense, on opposite ends um, as far as types of instruments and roles. So we'll, uh, we'll dive into that a little bit further as we work through what I hope are some intriguing questions. <laughs> so good. obviously I'm biased. I love dub. So I think Death by Dub is super, but aren't you guys also a super group? Your members are in Thievery Corp, Euphorchestra, um, John Brown's Body, and the Motet, and plenty more beyond that, I believe, right? I guess in my experience in a lot of, I don't know, a lot of our friends and the musicians that we like to work with have been with other different bands for so long that I think it's fair to say it's a super group, but it's not really something that we, at least this project explicitly tries to push. Um, at least in my experience. What do you think, Dan? I would say uh, strictly because of the people that, like you said, that we work with. Um, but, um, you know, I think the music stands on its own and, and the band is its own thing. Uh, really, the band is is uh, Scott and myself composing all the music and then having a bunch of our friends come together to record and also to play shows. And, uh, you know, these people just happen to be associated with uh, a lot of other popular acts because they're amazing musicians. Yeah, well, that's great. I think it's really then the music and the friendship that matters here and not trying to, you know, pluck artists um, to, to join. So how did this really come together? Because obviously you guys are, you know, my understanding is everyone's a busy working musician. How How was time made for dub, which I think we might all be willing to agree is an underappreciated genre. Sure, it, it really started when I, uh, I moved to Denver uh, five years ago now and started a like a roots reggae um, kind of tribute act where I was playing all covers and you know hiring friends of mine um, that I knew loved reggae music and meeting a bunch of others that I got on the gigs as well. And after a few months of doing a monthly show. Um, I decided with Scott to start um, just making instrumental music. This was right around the time where Color Red uh, was established, which is like a record label based out of Denver uh, that was encouraging certain people to come in and just record things. So we got into the studio with some friends and, and brought a few tunes to the table. And I think we did like three, maybe four tracks that first day. and. You know, with, with with that, the band was born, really. Awesome. And is that Denver Reggae Social Club? Was, um, yeah, exactly. That's where it came from. Okay. So that's kind of the, whatever we should say, the stew that this project emerged out of. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, and that, you guys played some of those um, Tuesday nights at Cervantes, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. I definitely saw you at more than one of those. That was a, a fun era for, for reggae here in Denver, I think. It was a little too brief, maybe, but it was fun to be, you know, bring the community together on an unexpected night like that. Absolutely. It was a good thing to be a part of. You know, it was kind of a, a quick introduction uh, of my own to Denver's reggae scene. It was a nice way to get integrated, you know, quickly and see who was also passionate about the music.
you've really had an interesting um, process of releasing what led up to the Abundance album, given that Truth and Justice, the first single, came out in, I think, February or something, 2019, and the LP came out um, just a couple months ago. So was this intentional to kind of, you know, whether you say leak tracks or gradually release them, or were there external factors, whether it's the obvious one or not, that kind of impacted the, the release schedule and the approach? I would say it threw, threw a wrench in, in the entire process, but really it was a, a, a matter of releasing the tracks as we, as we finished them. Uh, so it was a one-by-one one sort of single release, and the Abundance record was uh, a culmination and kind of a compilation of everything that we had released up to a certain point. Interesting. Okay, especially that you used the word compilation. Um, so that means it kind of was all the individual things adding up to create an LP rather than um, an album by design. Is that fair to say? Yeah, exactly. It's really all, all that we had um, up to that point. And uh, we had the idea, you know, the, the label essentially wanted to group everything together and release it to you know hopefully uh give all the music another push and and hopefully reach uh, a new audience with a, a more substantial collection of music yeah okay so i'm curious since a dub band is kind of an unusual concept particularly in contrast to the original analog concept of dub where a reggae song was dubbed so you know you guys have already mentioned that you you share composing duties how do you really approach making dub music because i mean this album is as dub wise as it comes i mean i feel like there could easily be a companion vocal version of this it's just there's not um because you're death by dub not death by reggae There's this kind of beautiful feedback in between the within this style of this music in the sense that it kind of started from the sound system culture and then musicians started playing it and then that those recordings went back into the kind of sound system effects that were happening. And this band, I feel like, is kind of reflective of that in the sense that we're doing it live instrumentally, but we're doing a mixture of the effects that Dan has kind of helped to curate live, as well as just through composition, as well as also just spontaneity when we play it, as in dropping out or, you know, sitting in one section for a while. Uh, So it's like, yeah, the roots of this music did come from it, not necessarily a live band, but then the live band came and then that went back through the dub system, so to speak. And there's this, there's this cool, I guess I keep coming back to the word feedback between what the studio produces, what the instruments produce, and then each one of those things imitating each other. And so, yeah, it's a dub band in one level could be like, but it's kind of like unexpected or not normal, but it works because we're kind of drawing a lot of the compositional formulas from those classic dub formulas as well. Yeah, that makes sense. And how much do you think members of the project's background in jam bands comes in, especially when you're talking about kind of playing with these tracks live? You know, do you consider with live performances that there's some jamming going on? I think as long as the players have the right sensitivities, the styles that they do doesn't really matter. And it's like, that to me is what speaks most. Like, you know, yeah, the youth orchestra guys, motet guys, um, they don't sound like the youth orchestra or motet when they do this, you know, because they have the right sensitivities and understandings. And 
as much as it helps to have a deep background or experience playing this music extensively like Dan and I have, um, as long as you have the right sensitivities, I think you can flourish, particularly in dub, because there's that room for space, there's that room for play, and as long as you kind of keep the aesthetic and not go into jam band world, it can really be effective. <laughs> and all those guys, and, and everyone we work with has, has enough like nuance and understanding of the context to do that. Yeah, okay. There's 10 tracks on this album, and I mean, I've got my favorites. Um, where are you standing now that um, the full project's been released um, and you've had a couple months to maybe um, reflect on things? as the, the package of um, of abundance um I'm super proud of it that's the main that's the main sentiment well, for hard, me at least. hard to argue with that right <laughs> <laughs> what's a track that you think people should really listen to who don't know so much about dub maybe that's a better way to ask this question and what you think uh, that, that's uh, that's an interesting way to put it I, I'll say um, the track with Elliot singing is uh one of my favorites because it was such a joy to receive uh like audio all the all those audio files from him and just get to you know get to integrate it into the song um the song itself which i ended up putting out on on the resurrection ep the song the instrumental version is out there and it i think it stands on its own as like a minimalist sort of dub track but with all those vocal tracks I think he sent me, you know, like two or three lead vocals, maybe a harmony and then a bunch of backing, backing vocals as well. Um, there was just an incredibly, uh, you know, uh, an incredible depth to what he sent me that I was able to manipulate and make into, you know, some nice textures along with a strong lead vocal. That was a super fun track um, to work on. So that's one of my favorites for that reason. next for death by dub live we're going to be playing ophelia's on november the third coming up in a couple weeks that's right
there's so many components that the audience doesn't always catch on to with dub music, um, regardless of you know how it's being presented, just because it's not the most straightforward of genres, um, you know, as far as the effects and things. And that's true, you know, from the DJ or selector side, um, as well as from the live band side. So I think it really is a nice touch, even though it's more than just a touch, that you guys make sure to include that as, in such a, a central and poignant way. It is definitely a um, you know an important facet of our live performance, um, and I agree. Most people don't don't really register what's going on when they see the bass player doing a, a pedal dance. Um, they're not really cognizant of the fact that I'm actually triggering all of these effects that you hear on the drums uh, with my feet as I'm playing the bass. But uh, if you know that, then it might make a little more sense why I'm kind of you know, dancing around and hitting different pedals and, and things. Yeah, for, for the technical enthusiasts out there in our audience, um, can you talk a little bit about what gear you're using to do all that? Uh, I guess I could uh, shed a little bit of light on, but I don't want to give away too many secrets. Yeah, no, no trade secrets, of course. <laughs> uh, essentially, I've got microphones on the drums that are uh, connected to uh, like a, a pedal board of certain effects, reverbs, delays, other fun things. Um, that I can trigger, essentially turn on and off, um, so that when the drummer's playing and everything is off, it sounds like a drum kit. But if I choose to, you know, say hit the on button, then it'll send the signal from, say, the snare drum into my chain of effects. And so I can trigger these sounds that you typically associate with dub music uh, with my feet so that it comes out of the speakers. So you're actually listening to uh, like a dub engineer's performance as well as the live band. But it's your toes that are the dub engineer. It's my feet that are <laughs> brains, exactly. <laughs> that's cool. Did it take you a while to develop that? Because I mean, I think that's a relatively unusual arrangement um, to have essentially the bassist being linked to the drums in this very, you know, kind of physical way, as right. well as taking on a, literally a live engineering role. Well, lucky for me, the, the bass is really the only uh, the only instrument that has uh, one, a couple of limbs free, and two, doesn't have effects that they want to put on their own instrument. So I'm not triggering anything on the bass itself because really what you want on the bass for reggae and dub music is just loud, low end, and plenty of headroom. So, you know, I'm not really concerned with doing anything to my own tone, so that gives me the freedom to manipulate something else. Whereas the guitar or the keys or the, uh, the horns, you know, might have effects on their own that they're applying to their own instrument. Um, I do have the freedom to manipulate, you know, something else. Um, but I think it all started, um, uh, I, we're all big fans of Dub Trio and uh, out of New York. I got the idea, just borrowed that idea and just kind of took it in my own direction um, where they would do a similar thing. You know, I started experimenting with it Probably, shoot, I think, you know, like nine years ago when I was doing uh, Sundub in New York, which is a band I started uh, and then kind of passed off to Ben Teeters, the current current band leader there. Sweet. So that this is a very, I think, polished element of the Death by Dub sound then. It's, it's definitely been in practice for a while and I've refined certain things, but at the same time, I'm always experimenting and bringing something new out every time just to see you know what other direction i might be able to take it i think if you rely on the same you know the same thing uh it, it has the tendency to get stale although there's you know the staple sounds that you want to to maintain in your rig 
uh, or in your sonic palette, I feel like dub is all about experimentation. 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 Dub is all about experimentation.